7.30. Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you will, over to the fourth chapter of the book of Amos. Amos chapter number 4. That's right after the book of Joel, right before the book of Obadiah. I don't say that because I think you're ignorant of your Bibles. We just don't preach from the book of Amos all that often in our churches. Amos chapter number 4. Do bring you greetings from... Faith Baptist Church in Versailles, Kentucky. It's hard to believe I've been there now. February made 12 years. Uh, pastored in West Virginia my whole time for 24 years total in West Virginia. Last 17 of that down in a little place called Raynell. You know where Raynell is, don't you? See, she's from West Virginia. I know that now. Uh, but appreciate your pastor so much. This is the first time I've been down here. Brother Brother Bowling back in, uh, uh, I, I'm thinking of somewhere around the late 90s, somewhere through there, came up and preached conference for us at Little Sewell. Uh, Little Sewell Baptist is way up in Craig Hollow, seven miles out of the big city of Raynale. And I remember Brother Bowling got about a half a mile from the church, and said they can't be a church up in here and turned around headed back toward Raynell. But there is a church up in there. been there since 1871, so it's been around a while. And uh, But anyway, I'm glad to be with you. Appreciate your pastor so much. Our people love Brother Clint. He comes up and preaches for us. We've had him up a number of times, and they always like to have him come up and preach because they enjoy hearing good preaching when they get opportunity. And so we are glad to be with you this week. We do pray God to bless our services this week. Amos chapter 4, I'm not going to waste a lot of time with pleasantries, uh, and uh, I will uh, preach to my heart's content, and I'll turn the lights out when I'm done, y'all have to leave. But, no, I won't be that long, I don't think. I don't have, I, I don't have a very pleasant subject uh, this evening. Maybe I should save this, let you get used to me, uh, and I get by with it better later in the week. Uh, but this is the text I've chosen tonight. It is not necessary. It's a, it's a difficult message to preach. In some ways, it may be difficult to listen to also. That, that, that's the thing, though, about Amos and pretty much all of what the Bible scholars call the minor prophets. Uh, and by the way, the reason they're called minor is not because their message was any less important, of course, than the so-called major prophets, uh, it has to do entirely with the length of the book. Uh, they were just not as windy as the major prophets are. But the thing about Amos and all the minor prophets is they proclaimed a very hard message to God's people. Good for us sometimes, isn't it? We need to hear uh, the hard things sometimes in the Word of God. Amos himself... Uh, we know prophesied lived uh, during the reign of King Uzziah in Judah and King Jeroboam down in, uh, up in Israel. Uh, it, you see, it was a divided kingdom at this time. The ten tribes to the north was called Israel. Uh, the two tribes to the south was called Judah. Uh, and uh, both Israel and Judah at this time uh, was, you might say, complacent in their religion. Now Amos, I am told, just to give you the background, actually lived in a little small town called Tekoa, which is outside of Bethlehem in, in the southern kingdom of Judah. 
uh, and his was a loud voice against the uh, against the wickedness that enveloped, really enveloped both kingdoms at that time. Uh, and he, he, he preached strongly against the, uh, the complacency that had enveloped both kingdoms. Uh, you see, they had at best uh, become very complacent. Uh, listen, there is a verse of scripture that says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. You know, sounds like somebody else I know. Uh, you see, at this time, I am told, Bible scholars tell me that this is, this is what is called a, a post-war period of time. It was a time of peace in the kingdom, uh, a time of prosperity, and, and man, the natural man, the natural mind thought that somehow God was indicating his divine pleasure upon them. I mean, everything uh, they thought was hunky-dory. Everything was, was going pretty good, you know. Uh, politically, they, they relied upon their financial and military strength to keep them safe. Listen, folks, that was a far cry from when they relied on God. Right. Sounds like somebody else. Yeah. I know. Socially... They were but two classes of people. There was, the, was the very, very rich and the very, very poor, you know. Sounds like us a lot of times. Because whether you know it or not, little by little, we're getting more and more socialistic in our nation, you see. Religiously, true religion had become religion in form only. In other words, they were just going through the motions. Right. But to the natural man, to the natural mind, they said, well, everything is great. Everything seems to be coming up roses. But I want to tell you, the prophet of God saw things differently. He looked out and he saw the spiritual and moral decay that had gripped both kingdoms at that time. And he spent a great deal of time warning them, listen, if you do not turn from your sin... If you don't turn from your idols, God's judgment is coming. You mark it down. God is going to judge one day. I wish, I wish the United States of America would heed that warning myself. But that, that's why Amos is not, you, you won't find people flocking to the book of Amos very often to read it. You won't find preachers flocking to it to take a text from it. It's not that pleasant of a book, if you be honest. In fact, it's not until the end of Amos uh, that he does promise that, listen, there's coming a day uh, when God is going to bless his people Israel again. Listen to me, folks. God is not through with the nation of Israel. God, God is going to turn and bless the nation of Israel again. You'll, you'll find things like this in the book of Amos. I, I love how he says it. He said, listen, there's coming a day when God is going to raise up the tabernacle of David and have this said, and close up the breaches thereof. I just like the sound of that. He said there, there's coming a day when, when, when uh, saith the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. You know. uh, so Amos does 
wind up, as does most of the other prophets, with promising that one day God is going to restore. I, I don't care what the uh, millennials brethren have to say. God is going to restore again the nation of Israel. Right. Now, I, I thought about that message. Uh, I'm glad to tell you, folks, there is coming a better day. Uh, there is coming a, a better day, a brighter day for God's people. We are on the winning side. Things do work out in the end, you see. And I like, I like thinking about that day. I, I, I was reading a, a commentator by the name of John Phillips. I read some of his stuff, don't like a, uh, a lot of it because he tends to be too Armenian for my taste sometimes. But John Phillips was describing that day one time and he said, you know what, one of these days I, I'm going to wake up in that fair kingdom. Uh, he said, I'm going to wake up and, uh, that day and uh, I'll walk down the street and, and I'm going to see a lady perhaps selling roses in a cart. And, and, and I'm going to reach in and get one of those roses and I'm going to find out it doesn't have any thorns on it. And so I'm going to ask her, where did you get these roses? And she said, well, I grew them in the desert. He said, in the desert? She said, well, yeah, haven't you heard? The Lord reigns in Zion and the, the desert shall blossom like a rose. He said, I, maybe I'll go into a, a, a pet shop and I, I'm going to see a man coming out with a cobra in his hands. And I'm going to ask him, what, what in the world are you doing with a cobra? He said, I'm buying it for my little boy. She buying a cobra for your boy? He said, well, yeah, haven't you heard? The Lord reigns in Zion and a suckling child shall play on the hole of an asp. You know. I'm going to ask him, where, where are you policemen at? Oh, we don't have any of those. Have, haven't you heard? The Lord reigns in Zion, and they shall beat their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks. Oh, where are your sick folk that I may comfort them? Oh, we don't have any of those either. The Lord reigns in Zion, and nobody's going to say in that day, I am sick. Oh, what about your, your blind folk and your, your deaf folk? Oh, we don't have any of those either. The Lord reigns in Zion. And the tongue of the dumb shall be loosed and the ear of the deaf shall be unstopped. The horse going cemetery. We don't have any of those either. The Lord reigns in Zion. And there's not going to be any more sorrow or, or death or any of those things. He said, I'm going to go up to that temple in that day. And I'm going to see the Lord high and lifted up. And the angelic choir and the choir of the redeemed is going to be singing. Maybe, maybe they'll be singing all hell the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He said, I might even join in. And that last stanza, oh, ye that with yonder sacred throne, we at his feet may fall. And we'll join the everlasting song and crown in Lord of all. I'm here to tell you, folks, there, there are uh, better days coming for God's people. And I, I like thinking about those days. I like preaching about those days. Uh, and Amos does, uh, like all the other prophets, he closes out with a promise of, of better things to come. 
But listen, as much as I like thinking about the then and that, it's the nasty here and now that we got to deal with. And that's what Amos deals with in my text. And I haven't even read my text yet. Let me, let me just read uh, one verse to you for my text. It is a very famous verse of Scripture. It's found in verse number 12. And then I'll, I'll come back and kind of narrate my way through some things. But here's what he says. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, listen, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Now, my message to you tonight is quite simple. Folks, you are going to meet God one day. Amen. You understand that? You are going to stand. Listen, all men, all people, are, are, is going to stand before God one day. You are. Yes, you are. You're going to stand and you're going to give an account unto God one day, right? You're going to meet God. Now, for that meeting to be a happy meeting and to be a safe meeting, then we must prepare to meet God. That's the message. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter whether you eat from a wooden spoon or a silver spoon. You're going to meet God one day, and you're going to give an account Unto God. Now that's the subject, that's the message, not necessarily a pleasant one, but it is a needing one. We all need to be reminded, every one of us is going to stand and give an account to God one day. Amen. Are you with me? Now, let me, let me just kind of go back. Uh, I'm going to narrate my way through. I'm going to use most of this chapter before I'm finished. Don't panic. I'll do it very quickly. Uh, but let me, let me narrate my way through this if I can. Under three headings. In the first place, in verses 1 through 5, we have what I would call God's contempt. Now, I, I don't feel a need to go back and read all of those verses to you uh, tonight. But it's what I, what I, what I see when I, when, I, when I read these verses is God uses a little bit of sarcasm. You, you would say God's not above being sarcastic sometimes. You can almost hear the, the sarcasm dripping from these words. For example, here's what he says in verse number 4. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish a, the free offerings for this life of ye, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Now think about what he said. He said, go ahead, come to Bethel, which is called Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. Go ahead, come to Bethel and transgress. You know, go ahead and, and, and come to Gilgal, and he says, and multiply your transgression. Go ahead and offer your eleven field sacrifices. And he says, this is exactly how you are, Israel. In other words, what God was saying, God held Israel's attempt at worship in utter contempt. He sure did. You see, Israel had become so automatic in their worship. I got to tell you, sounds like 
Somebody else I know sometimes. We become, we have become so automatic in our worship that very often there's not much thought behind it. They have become so automatic, so ritualistic in their worship, and, and God held their worship in utter contempt. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think about that stuff. Do you ever wonder how God used our attempt at worship today? Do you ever think about that? How does God view my feeble attempts at worshiping Him? Do you, you ever get stuck in a rut or feel like you're stuck in a rut in your worship? You know, it's ding dong and dong ding. It's the same thing over and over again without a, without a whole lot of thought. Can I say a whole lot of preparation? Right. I'm going to come back to that one in a minute. On our part, I th- I, as a preacher, as a pastor, I think about that all the time. I, I remember a, a letter written to the church at Laodicea. Now, if indeed it's true, uh, and I, I, I for one think that's so, that the church of Laodicea is representative also in nature to the last of the church age. I, I go along that track. It was a literal New Testament Baptist church, but it, it is very representative, I think, of the last of the church age. Now, indeed that is the case, then, then the message to Laodicea is a message especially for us today. Remember, he said, unto the angel of the church of Laodicea. Now, most commentators I read after says the word angel means messenger. Literally, talking about the pastor. I, I tend to agree with that. If I, if I was going to talk to Grace Baptist Church in Monticello, I would talk to your pastor. Brother Clay Kitty, parts in the letter, in care of your pastor. Yeah. Well, he says, unto the angel of the church of Laodicea. Uh, how he said, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness of God. Uh, I know thy works. Let me tell you something first. God knows all about us. Right? We're open, we're naked up to the eyes of him whom we have to do. I can get dressed up in my Sunday best. God, God sees through all of that. He knows all about us. And you know what it says? I know my words. You're neither cold nor hot. Now, I wish, I wish you were cold or hot. I wish, I wish you were one way or the other. But because you're neither cold or hot, you're lukewarm. He said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, I don't need to tell you what that really means. I think you get an idea. It's a picture to get in it. In other words, he said, church, you make me sick. That's, that'll take the wind out of your sex at a church. Man. You made me sick. You're going to read it. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and I have needed nothing. That's the way a lot of us act. Isn't it? And he said, you don't even know that you are wretched. You're miserable. 
You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You're not all that much. Maybe I should say this to later in the week. <laughs> you're not all that much. I think about that. I really do. How much does our worship sit in God? Right. I say this to our people all the time. I wouldn't give you a, a nickel for a preacher that doesn't prepare himself to preach. Now, I come from West, southern West Virginia. Grew up in the coal fields. Worked in the coal mines. I cut my hands were crooked. Rock crushed them in the mines. And our church is back in the mountains. Any of y'all know what the old regular Baptists are? I'm going to get in trouble here. The old regular Baptists back home, they, they're hackers and they get going. Now, people at Faith accuse me of almost being a hacker sometimes when I get going. They go, ha, when they're preaching. You ever heard that? They don't believe in studying for sermons. And you just get up and the Lord fills your mouth. Usually the Lord fills their mouth with the same stuff every time. Yeah, and they, when they get going, it's, and my wife laughs at me because I got a habit of doing this. She said, "How did you get that?" I got it from the hackers. I've seen it; it just comes up naturally. But I say, I say this to our people all the time. I wouldn't give you a nickel for a preacher that doesn't prepare himself. Would you? If Brother Clint didn't take his time and prepare his heart and mind and and, and study, you, you know, you wouldn't lack, you wouldn't you wouldn't keep him very long. By the same token, I won't give you a nickel for a church member that doesn't prepare themselves to come to church. I'll tell you one practice I, I liked that we did in the mountains. Whenever there was revival meeting, I'm not, I'm, on, I'm not rebuking you at all here. I'm just telling you how, how they used to do it. They would call time of prayer and fasting for the members. And they prepare for revival. They wanted to hear from God. Do you understand, folks, why you're here? You are here to meet with God. Amen. That's it. My people are tired of me saying this, but folks, let me tell you something. We need the Holy Spirit of God right. to get hold of us in our churches. We do. Don't, don't, don't grieve Him. Don't quench Him. Do you know that, I tell my people this all the time, if you've got a complaint, don't come to me before church. They know that I won't even listen to them. I don't want to hear it before church. If you've got a gripe, wait till after church. Then I can get mad and have time to cool off before night service. Do not, you, you can quench the Holy Spirit, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know the best prayer that you can pray for your preacher? You pray that God would fill him with the Holy Spirit of God. I, I've been preaching long enough. I, I, I got to the point where, you know, I mean, I, I want people to, to like, I guess all of us like, it wants people to like the way you preach. I'm not everybody's cup of tea, I know that. But I got to the point where it don't really matter so much anymore. I tell my people, you pray that God would take me out of the equation altogether. It's not about me. You pray that God would fill your preacher with the Holy Spirit, 
God would, the Holy Spirit would take charge of the worship service. You, you ever think about that? Jesus said, if you're going to worship God, you've got to worship Him in what? In spirit and in truth. You can't separate those two. You understand? You've got to worship Him in spirit and truth. But I wonder how much, how much does God, how much does our worship seeking God? You ever think about that? So we have, we have God's, we have God's contempt, verses 1 through 5. Then in verses 6 through 11, we have what I would call God's chastisement. Now, uh, again, I'm not going to read these verses to you. You can go back and read them for yourself later on. But there's a common theme throughout these verses from verse 6 to 11. In fact, it's a twofold theme. If God says, I have sent, or I have done this, or I have done that. And the second theme was, yet you have not returned unto me. Does that several times throughout those verses. Uh, God said, I, in other words, I have tried to get your attention. And I've done this, I've done that, I've sent this, I've sent that. In fact, if, I'm, if my memory serves me right, five different times in those verses, God says, yet you have not returned unto me. Now, now listen to me. There is a powerful minister of God, a powerful messenger of God, called providence. Do you understand there's nothing happens in your life by accident? Providence is how God speaks to us many times today. Gets our attention. By the way, God no longer speaks to us audibly. If you're hearing voices, get help. You know. God, God speaks to us. The primary way God speaks to us today is through this book. God who at sundry times in divers manners spake unto our fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Listen, this is a written word. Jesus is the living word. You cannot separate those two out. We now have a more sure word of prophecy. What Bible says. This is how God speaks to us. God, God speaks to us through His word. God speaks to us through the preaching of His word. You better listen to God's word. You better listen to God's preaching. But I tell you another powerful way that God speaks to us is through this thing called providence. God is good at getting your attention. Isn't he? I uh, occasionally, down through the years, I've had, I don't know why, but it's desperate, but I've had churches called. And, and ask me to come and talk to them. They was looking for a pastor and things like that. And I always tell them I'm not interested. I never thought I'd leave West Virginia. I, you know, never did. Never dreamed I'd leave West Virginia. The, but the first time, Brother Danny told, I told Clint this story many times. Brother Danny told us one of the deacons at, at, at Faith Baptist. First time he called me, I don't even remember talking to him. 
And the reason was, God was sending me a pretty powerful message through a thing called Providence. Two days before that, I dropped 25 foot, busted up all my ribs. I was, I was the color, remember old Barney, the dinosaur purple? I was purple from the waist up. Broke my ribs front and back. Uh, don't remember two days, what, still to this day, I don't remember what happened two days before that or two days after that. Now, I didn't fall out of the tree stand. That's a rumor. The tree stand fell up under me. And uh, it was one of those crazy deals. Anyway, I don't remember talking to Danny. My wife, uh, for the first time, she kind of left me alone. She was in another part of the house. Uh, I'd been sitting in that recliner two days out of my head. And the phone rang. I picked it up, and she heard me say, you better call back. I'm not in my right mind. And I hung up. And she said, well, who was that? I said, well, it's a deacon at some church in Kentucky. She said, well, you should have told him why you're not in your right mind. And uh, anyway, Danny's still alive because he actually had the nerve to call me back. Uh, he had to find out. Two days after, or a few days, I don't remember exactly after that, I was back to see my doctor, who was a good Christian doctor. And uh, he said, preacher, you're going to heal up. It may not seem like it. I want to tell you, I slept in the recliner for three months. I had to throw the recliner away the time I got out of that thing. Uh, he said, you're going to heal up. But here's what he said. You've got to figure out why the Lord knocked you out of that tree. I'm not kidding. Brother Danny called back that very night. And I said, all right, I'll come down. <laughs> I give up, I'll come down. God has a way of getting your attention. There is no such thing as accidents. You understand? You better pay attention to the things that happen in your life. I have visited church members who begin, y'all have people here that wonder, are we the only ones that do that? We have people that quit coming to church and I'll go visit with them. I had one old boy, I, I, I went to visit with him and visit with him and visit with him at one point. And he wouldn't listen until the Lord put him flat on his back. He's good at getting your attention. So we have God's contempt. Second of all, God's chastisement. And then lastly, in our text, in our text verse 12 and 13, we have God's challenge. Now, listen to what he says. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. Now, I want you to understand who's issuing this challenge. This is not an invitation. This is a challenge from God. Verse 13. For lo, he that cometh the mountains, createth the wind, declareth unto man what is his fault, that maketh the morning darkness tread upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. You've got to understand who it is that's issuing this challenge. All people are going to meet God. The atheist who has the audacity to stand on God's green earth, arrogantly proclaim there is no God, the atheist is going to meet him one day. The agnostic, he's the educated fool. The agnostic says, well, we don't really know if there's a God. He's going to find out. 
The Muslim is going to stand before the true God one day. Matter of fact, the most profound passage of Scripture, John says, I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Listen, you can run, but you cannot hide. I saw the dead, small, and great stand before God, and, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged uh, out of those things written in the books according to the works. Seeing and see and hell cast up the dead, the dead that were in them, and they would judge every man according to their works. All men is going to stand before God one day, right? Amen. Not only all lost sinners are going to stand, but let me tell you something: all saved sinners are going to stand before Him. Paul said, "We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ." I'm just telling you, folks. You're going to stand before him. You're going to give an account unto God. There was a fella one time named J.H. Stanley who wrote a song. Part, so much of it's unscriptural. But it was, called, it was titled after this verse. He said, Careless soul, oh, heed the warning. For your life will soon be gone. Oh, how sad to face the judgment unprepared to meet thy God. Are you ready to meet him? I wish, I wish that God would get a hold of us in our churches again. It's what we need. Take the pride out of our lives. Make us to realize we're going to stand before God one day.